So this is a rich passage, uh, and each phrase is deserving of time and consideration. But I want to draw your attention tonight specifically to verse 7, which I'll reread for us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. The obvious takeaway from this verse is Christ's silent submission to the atoning work he achieved on a crude instrument of death. But, lest the act become too neat for us, too clean, too easy a theological doctrine to be repeated but not confronted, it pairs words of torture, oppress, afflicted, slaughter, sheer, with words describing weak and helpless animals, lambs and sheep. So we have this disturbing image of silence with slaughter, vulnerability with gratuitous suffering, and quiet submission to the anonymous machine of death. For many Christians, this passage is second nature. It is well-worn, much rehearsed, parts of it maybe even memorized. And perhaps as a result, it is empty of real meaning, empty of our outrage, empty of the ability to touch our affections, to be gripped by its grisly details. It is a reality so disturbing, and yet simultaneously, it is inaccessible to us because it is too familiar. If possible, I want to try to refresh our memories of Christ's silence in the face of his cruel death and suggest to us, maybe for the first time, for some, that the crucifixion act, in all its vital meaning to bring salvation to our dead souls, was equally intended to become a model for Christian discipleship that is fixated on the least in our society, the lambs and the sheep. That is to say, if we cut the cross off halfway, if we reduce it to a symbol of only eternal salvation, then it ends in theological abstraction, and we will have failed to grasp how politically subversive an innocent man's first century crucifixion was, a man that we claim as our God, our Savior. Isaiah 53 comes at the tail end of a section in the book where the author introduces a way forward for what was a centuries-long political and theological problem. How can Yahweh maintain his righteousness and bring about the redemption of the world through a chosen people, Israel, when it was Israel's immorality and rejection of Yahweh that brought on their subjugation and exile to the great Babylonian empire? How will justice be restored? Israel be freed, the nations be healed, and God's righteousness preserved. And the answer is something as uncomfortable to us today as it was baffling to Israel. One man, the suffering servant king, will assume the identity and vocation of Israel and be exiled, disfigured, mutilated, and killed in an act of injustice. And even more mind-blowing, this servant king will do so without saying a word. He does not invoke his rights, appeal to his pedigree, or make a claim to his innocence. He instead empties himself. The language of Philippians 2 says he made himself nothing, and he takes up our affliction. And this is what rightly breaks our hearts and lead us to abandon our lives for him. But what I want to suggest is that it's also the modern of Christian discipleship 
silently enduring persecution on behalf of other sinful humans. And this, if we're honest, terrifies us. Because simply put, we don't want to die for others. My appeal to this community tonight is that the way in which Christ redeemed us, this is my body, broken for you, the Eucharistic words we repeat every week, they were intended to become the model for everyday garden variety radical Christians. Do this in remembrance of me. Don't just remember, but do. Purposefully make your life harder, harder for others. Lay down your resources, your time, your leverage, your clout, your influence, money, food, safety, comfy retirement plans, 401ks, 529s, American citizenship, maybe even your life. Because we cannot redeem what we do not assume. There is no enduring, meaningful, profound Christianity where we do not suffer on behalf of others. And because we are Americans, we have almost no categories for this concept. Persecution for an undeserving other without notoriety, credit, or claim is a category unto its own that few of us Americans will ever experience. So I'd like to offer us a few examples in the hope that, they, that these examples might remind us of the brutality of our calling and perhaps provoke us to reconsider the ways we wear our crosses. Starting in 1960 in North Carolina, hordes of mostly African-American students staged sit-ins at lunch counters to protest legal segregation. Their tactics were nonviolent, polite verbal requests to be served, just as their white counterparts. Though the effort was incredibly successful, many were arrested, some were beaten, some had hot coffee poured down their backs, and almost all endured verbal threats. A century earlier, on the border of what was then Missouri-Kansas territories, a devout Puritan named John Brown led a group of men onto the private property of Missouri slave owners to steal 12 slaves. He then escorted those slaves 1,100 miles, which took 82 days, across the U.S. to freedom in Canada, all the while facing armed men and northern sheriffs authorized to reclaim and take those slaves back to their owners under the Fugitive Slave Act. Two years later, John Brown was hanged in silence after another attempt to free slaves in the South. On April 9, 1945, at the Flossenburg concentration camp near the eastern border of Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was tortured and then hanged to dawn. He was an early critic of the Catholic and Protestant Church's complicity in the Nazi violence against Jews. He was engaged to be married at the time, and his camp was liberated only two weeks later. His remains were never found. And last year in Myanmar, a missionary couple's adult daughter was kidnapped, raped, and murdered for her efforts to tell Buddhist neighbors in her village about Jesus. Her parents escaped the attacks, but went back to the same village a year later to take up right where their daughter left off, humbly proclaiming the gospel of Christ crucified. These and thousands of other stories, though overlooked and insignificant to many, reflect lives gripped by the silent servant king we see suffering in Isaiah 53. Theirs were lives that were given for others and given without the satisfaction of pouring angry condemnation on their persecutors or vindication of their rights as citizens of a particular state. How different are we? Isn't it nice to be an American? Take part in the fruits of the gospel with so little cost. It should not be the case. 
Isaiah 53, 7 gives us no reason to be proud. Let us silence our tongues and offer our lives. Bonhoeffer put it like this, to endure the cross is not tragedy, it is the suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. Amen.